What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine. Uh, we are in the Thanksgiving holiday week, but we are going to be discussing Season 2, Episode 13, Armageddon Game. Uh, we have a jam-packed episode for you today, because not only are we discussing this episode, we are discussing Mike's treasure hunt, find his TV guide interview with Avery Brooks, so that's going to be very exciting. Mike, how's it going? Uh, I'm excited, Keith. It's 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 a Monday morning here, but the sun is shining, even though it's zero, no degrees. There are no degrees to be found anywhere near me. Uh, but as you mentioned, very excited, because, spoiler alert, feel like we have the episode quality has jumped a few notches in my mm-hmm. opinion in my humble opinion we are rebounding and we get uh we get some great Cisco-ing this week and as you mentioned i uh found myself this tv guide over the summer which has an interview that was in the tv guide for the week this episode aired so i thought a great time for us to to read it and even better you would assume I okay maybe not maybe you wouldn't I would assume that in a TV guide interview that is basically marketing for Deep Space Nine, right. Avery Brooks would receive and give quite a just a puff a puff pastry of an interview. Ah, you don't know Avery Brooks. I don't know Avery <laughs> Brooks. I mean, this was an interview. I mean, you get some tidbits. I learned a lot about him, and I learned that he has very little Fs to give. No, so, Avery Brooks is a truth machine. Yeah, I thought I was going to cut out just like a couple of questions from this interview, but I'm going to read quite a few because I think there's some uh, there's some cool nuggets. So I'm excited to get to that. Awesome. I'm excited about it too. Uh, but before we do, we have to introduce to you the people we're excited about, and that is our patrons who you can join on patreon.com slash K&M. Get exciting bonus content. We're unopening toys. We're reviewing bonus episodes. We're doing AMAs. We're just doing all sorts of crazy stuff, uh, and we're chatting with you, so do not miss an opportunity to... Uh, have more of your time wasted by us with hours of extra bonus content. Mike, who's doing that at the moment? Well, the people who are unopening toys with us, as Keith said, uh, <laughs> unboxing maybe. Unopen? Yeah, you you. Well, oh, unopening yeah, would be unopening. like putting them back in the package, right? Sorry. Anyway, well, if you want to do that, it's very exclusive content. <laughs> We're going to be putting things back into packaging. Yeah, anywhere on YouTube, you can see people unboxing we rebox toys which yeah. is you don't can only get it here brian kaufman casey clark <laughs> cloud lover six nine jason moe who gave me a great there's a as a, a episode of t- the original series that jason watches every thanksgiving and he said it's a thanksgiving tradition and he said it's one of the best original series episodes so keith i think maybe uh, if i find myself some time i'm gonna put that on the patreons me watching that for jason oh, good idea uh, oh, i love that idea yeah uh, you can join me if you want, or I'll just go solo. Andrew Hayes, show me the Toonies, Jorge Navoa, and the mysterious, the mysterious and Worf's butthole CRM Productions. Charles mm. Babbage at Grim underscore Toys Delusions at noon. Do you know if you take a duck, shove it inside of a turkey, and then shove it up Worf's butt, you get a a Worf a a tra Worf duckin. <laughs> anyway. Trawarfin. A Trawarfin. <laughs> oh boy. We do not. Repeat, do not want that custom figure. No, please. Well, I mean, we'll open anything. <laughs> Let's be honest. If you send it, we shall open it. 
we shall, and then we'll rebox it. Mm-hmm. We'll put it right back in the packaging. Oh, we will shove right it straight it up Worf's butt at the end of the episode. We'll take it out. Oh, n- Look at it on camera. Pop it back in, baby. Oh, well, you know, it's it, much like the turducken. We took it one step too far. Okay. So, <laughs> all right. Let's talk about the Armageddon game, which aired on January 30th, 1994. Uh, and uh, I'm excited. Mike, we have a new song. We do. And I can't, I can't wait oh. for you uh, to sing it for us. And that is, of course, the collaboration of mm. the supergroup of Brian Adams, oh, no. Rod Stewart, mm. and Sting okay. singing All for Love. Oh, man. No recollection of this song, but I'm sure if I if I reach down deep. I, I think it just, just... It's all love. We all have big hair. One of us has tantrous sex. The other two are just there. Watching Sting have all love with all his groupies, and Rod Stewart's just happy to be alive. <laughs> oh, something like that? No opinions about <laughs> Brian Adams! <laughs> uh, uh, I want to do something about a little ditty, but that's John Cougar Mellencamp. Why do I always confuse Brian Adams and John Cougar Mellencamp? Not similar at all. Not at all. No, I mean they're both like white guys who sing. Ryan Adams like, was like, uh, what was his big hit? You know, he did a did a whole mess of stuff. Oh. Yeah, but he's got that one, that one '90s just like anthem. Like you know, all of our older sisters yeah. are big on Brian Adams. Well, you know, I gave it a go. Well, there it is. You know what? I'll take it. I do it for you. Oh, from Robin Hood. Everything Prince of I do. Oh, Costner and his the cop before the Costner songs. And do you, do you have any idea what this song, All for Love, is tied to? Similarly to I Do It, it For a, You? Is it a motion picture? It is tied to a motion picture. Now, uh, we mentioned it previously uh, as it was on the top of the charts for one week. Uh, it also featured three prominent dudes. Uh, three Men and a Baby? Three Musketeers. Oh, okay. Well, you know. This was the theme song to that. So there you go. But as we move forward, Three Musketeers, not the top movie. Can you guess who the top movie would be in the 10th week after it opened? What are we? Are we on Titanic yet? No, it's still Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, yes. I don't do a good now, Mrs. Doubtfire. Of course, we we jumped three weeks ahead between episodes here. So Mrs. Dadfire took a break because the top movie for the two weeks that we missed, uh, fantastic movie, Philadelphia. Oh, Tom Hanks. Denzel Tom Washington. Hanks heartbreaking performance Streets in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Thank you, thank you. Boy, this is a really musical episode. Thanks, man. Somewhere our friend is dying. Uh yeah, so uh Wow, a lot of very important movies. I mean, Mrs. Doubtfire is really fun. Philadelphia is important. But uh, yep. what else was important that night, Mike? Perhaps on our televisions. Oh, yeah, Keith. Well, let me go ahead. Let me get to the TV Guide. Uh-huh. Let's go to the TV Guide proper here. And, oh, my uh, goodness. That's such now, a good idea. in this market, uh, this was Saturday evening in this market. Okay, great. Okay. And, oh, and, and what, what uh, network was it on? It was on... Uh, I, it must. Well, who, I don't know. It's the same network as well, I don't know. Thirty one, channel thirty one. Okay, thirty one, and wherever this was, which it doesn't say on where the. 
probably says on the first page of the insert for the uh, for the TV listing. It just doesn't. It just it just doesn't. Oh oh, it's I see secret. what you're saying. Okay, yeah. Hold on. Because they because they it had like a it's like a playbill yes. where it has like a wraparound with uh-huh. the, the national stuff. Rochester, New York, Keith. Rochester, New York. That's where I went to college. Yeah, crazy, huh? Um, and and look at this. New releases. Oh, wait, see if I can remember what new was 31. V- on page 36, Keith, they have something called the VCR Report, and this is new releases to VHS that you should check out. Oh, nice. What, what's and, out? Well, Carrie Ells, and, as Robin, and Dave Chappelle, they spring into anachronism in Robin Hood Men in Tights, Keith. Dave Chappelle was in that? Yeah, Dave Chappelle was in wow. Robin Hood Men in Tights. Uh, 31 had to be Fox. I think it was Fox. And then in TV update, the first page there is the Arnold saga continues. Now Tom's own version. It's Tom Arnold, uh, and his. He, I guess, he's Tom Arnolding. Okay, uh, uh-huh. so here it was thirty one. Boo! It was Fox. I okay, that so I went Fox. To, I went yeah, to college there. Well, Deep Space Nine aired at six o'clock on Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, surrounding it, Keith, and we haven't been able to, uh, so it was going directly up against the NFC playoff game, a telecast from San Francisco. I don't want to talk about it. Yes. So, uh, if, I guess you, once, once things got dire, you just swapped over to Deep Space Nine. Oh, God. Well, I mean, but here's the thing. So, I, I, I mean, not get too far into sports ball. Uh, although this, this might have been after this this might have been the nfc championship game because uh in the divisional playoffs my football hero and still my hero to this day is phil sims of the new york football giants and uh on the uh, in the playoffs in the divisional round in san francisco after after beating the vikings we lost to the 49ers 44 to 3 and that was phil sims's final game in his career uh, because he was subsequently cut by the New York Football Giants after a Pro Bowl season, leading the team to an eleven and five record uh, to to save salary cap money. You want to know how much he was making, Mike? They were so they cut their million. Pro Bowl Pro Bowl quarterback. They cut him to save money. He was had a contract coming up for nineteen ninety four for two point five million dollars. Wow, that's incredible. Well, Keith, you know what? <laughs> I'm so, not salty about it. Sometimes I'm not cha- angry about it. Some champions go out on top, and mm-hmm. some go out on their back. Phil Simms is some the of them throw three interceptions and a playoff loss to the 49ers. Well, speaking of that, Keith, speaking of going out on your back, Keith, it turns out that that uh, Deep Space Nine was going head to head on TBS at 6:05 with WCW Wrestling. Oh, uh, also fun things airing at 6 p.m. on a Saturday uh, uh-huh. here in Rochester. Major Dad was on USA. Uh-huh, WGN sure. was playing Saved by the Bell. WOR was rerunning Charles in Charge. Where was that in its initial run? No, can't be. Uh, what I, else we got? Uh, no, I think that would have to be a rerun. Yeah, that was an 80s show, wasn't it? Maybe not. Janet Jackson know. had a full hour block on MTV. Uh, Nickelodeon had a show called Arcade. We were watch- watching bowling on GRC. And uh, let's see, Discovery had Swing Under the Swastika, so I'm, uh, I don't know what that was. That's, that's not great. Uh, and AMC was playing The Real Glory, uh, and in, on Channel 68, Star Trek Next Gen was on, so uh, not, a lot else, not, not a lot happening at 6 p.m. on a Saturday in Rochester. No, but, 
uh, you know, but uh, you want to know who is the uh, who's wrestling yeah, on WCW in nineteen ninety four? Not not a great era for them. Uh, Vader defeated Chris Nelson, Ooh. Sting, Dustin Rhodes, and Brian Pillman defeated the Harlem Heat and the Equalizer. And uh, this is fun. United States champion, stunning Steve Austin defeated Brady Boone. Well, Before running in, he was Stone I'll tell you what, when we get to prime time, interestingly, Dr. Quinn was like airing all kinds of, sh- on a few channels. Dr. Quinn was, Dr. Dr. Quinn was huge, yeah. Uh, a show called Mommies was on. Uh, Problem Child 2, the movie, was on uh, Channel 13. And uh, yeah, so uh, okay. listen, no wonder Deep Space Nine had got some eyeballs. There wasn't much else on. Well, folks, uh, that is, uh, you know, that, that's what happens. You get a lot of extra bonus content when Mike finds a TV guide from 1994. And we're not even done It is literally disintegrating it. in my hands as we talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, awesome. All right. But uh, before we get too much further, we got we got to hit the hard news, right? Oh, yeah. Sure. Let's do and, it. And uh, I, I use that word intentionally Mm, this week okay can't wait this is gonna be a dick joke it sure is because (laughs) guess what the weekly world news says there's a super pill that fires up your love life uh basically they manifested viagra which would be approved two years later so by the idea of viagra in 1994 was a weekly world news fantasy only two years later was it fast-tracked like you wouldn't believe to approval in 1996. So, Super Pill, there you go. Uh, you know, Blue Chew, if you would like to sponsor us, we will happily do a Blue Chew ad every week. Keith, it just, we're over 40. Speaking of manifesting, because I do these, I've you know, I edit it asynchronously, uh, that, that story right there explains why there's a very long... Uh, Uh, eggplant as your sticker on your console this week oh great (laughs) great great so glad that's already happened okay (laughs) yikes all right well guess what it is time to talk about this episode which was directed by weinrich colby who last directed melora and was written by Morgan Gendel, who last wrote on The Passenger. And this is Morgan's last episode mm-hmm. of Trek. So now, uh, what do you say we just do some quick hits of something trivial? Now, Keith, waste your time with trivial trivia. Okay, so uh, this script was actually originally going to feature... Dax and Bashir, not O'Brien huh. and Bashir. Interesting. Uh, which is, it is interesting. We've definitely, I think they pulled it back because they've they've hit that a lot. But mm-hmm. looking forward, it's actually kind of really important that it's O'Brien. Okay. Um, so uh, interesting, like that, how things might have ended differently, or or at least like you know unfolded differently on right. Deep Space Nine had they left it as Dax. Um, oh, I kind of love it the... as them, though. I feel like it was important for their relationship. That's right. I mean, it's a, it's it's a giant moment in the O'Brien Bashir relationship, um, and it would have been weird not to have it. So, uh, speaking of things that are weird, um, 
Now, I, I speak endlessly about the incredible work of the production staff on this show. The, 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 the effects, the sound, the lighting, the makeup, the creature design, the hair, the everything. Um, it's extraordinary work by extraordinary people. Uh, but this, this piece of trivia had me like, huh? Really? Because this episode was nominated for an Emmy for hairstyling. Oh, because people had like sombrero hair? The ridiculous, ridiculous hair in this episode. So, um, to each his own. So, uh, and lastly, O'Brien and Bashir work to replace a chambers coil in the, uh, in the, the communications device. And this was last referenced in Wrath of Khan when the Reliant claims that that coil was broken. So a nice little nugget of, uh, in canon trivia referencing Wrath of Khan in this episode. Okay. All right, so what was Next Generation doing? Oh boy, Mike, I don't you probably haven't seen this episode and it is legendary because this week the Next Generation aired Sub Rosa in which Dr. Crusher does the dirty with her grandmother's ex who happens to be a ghost trapped in a candle. I, mean, I wish I could say I made up any of that. I'm kind of here for it. That is all 100% true, what I just said. Dr. Crusher does the dirty with her grandma's ex, who is a ghost trapped in a candle. You know, one of Jen's friends, uh, part of his gig is he sources like fancy candles to sell in like upscale retail shops. And we sure. got a few, we get a few like on the sly. And there's this one candle. I wish I could remember the name of the brand. Probably doesn't matter. It's like $75. And it's a small candle. So for 75 bucks, it better be infused with a ghost that I can have somebody can bang. Yeah, I mean like your your grandfather's ex-girlfriend? I mean, well she send me a pic. Let me see. <laughs> Don't judge till you know. No, that's true. It it might just look like look, it didn't our escape first me. guest star. It, it didn't escape me that Keiko was uh, single for like 11 minutes this week. For a hot second, yes. We, of course, have Rosalind Chow as Keiko. Mike, you still got a shot, buddy. Mm-hmm. And Darlene Carr as Etashara, Peter White as Sharat, Larry Cedar as Nydrum, and Bill Mondi as Jackin. So, I think it is now time to hop into our screening room, and we have a little bonus content before we discuss the We sure the do, episode. yeah. I, uh, hey, listen, uh, I know uh, your, your profile says your husband was just vaporized by uh, mysterious radiation, but uh, mm-hmm. you up? <laughs> I think you get the eggplant emoji now, sir. It, I think it has to shift from my console to yours. Uh, maybe. <laughs> Mike is living at home by himself at the moment, and it's pretty obvious. Okay, well, folks, here he is—the man, the myth, everybody's favorite, my new favorite. I was questioning him in the beginning, but uh, I'm I'm, all, I'm fully on board now. Eighty-nine uh, cents, the TV guide. Yep. Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, let me see. We also got look at this bad, badass spread. 
Yes. Nice. And then we got some awesome pictures of him in, uh, what was that, TJ Hooker? TJ Hooker, yeah. Yep. And uh, like, let me see if I can. Yeah, that, Spencer for Hire. Yeah, Spencer for Hire. And then this awesome, awesome shot. Oh, my God. 90s. Oh, yeah. my God. 1994 just reached to the screen and slapped me. So 90s. All right. I feel like let's let it sit here. Oh, this is what it wants. Okay. So I'm going to read some of these because I think they're they're pretty important. All right, TV Guide opens up with the hard-hitting question, Keith. The Star Trek series and films can, in theory, help foster deeper understanding and better communication among people. But do they? For you, what are the tangibles? And Avery says, for me, this is as hardcore as it gets because I'm brown and American and male. It's important for me and for our brown children everywhere to be able to think in the long term. Today, many of our children, especially males, do not project that they will live past the age of 19 or 20. Star Trek allows children the chance to see something they might not otherwise imagine. My life's work has always been about making way for succeeding generations. I mean, that's, that's, that's deep. Coming yeah. right at the top of the interview. They say, well, which episode of Deep Space Nine was personally the most meaningful for you thus far? Avery Brooks says the pilot, which saw Sisko coming to terms with the death of his wife. To go on living after a tremendous loss is one of the greatest human stories. TV Guide says, The previous two Trek series eventually emerged as star vehicles for the actors, especially the ones playing the captains. Deep Space Nine is more of an ensemble piece. Was there a conscious effort to achieve that? Brooks. It was just luck of the draw. The producers have assembled an extraordinary group of seasoned people, and I'm not saying that just because we're still on the air. Most of the time, it's a joy to most of the time it's a joy to come to work because I like them. In particularly, the work I do with Colin Meany and Nana Visitor bring me, brings me much joy. Names drop name drops just a few. What happened to Cisco's relationship with his son Jake? This was a highly publicized aspect of the show when it's premiered, and now it appears to be on the back burner. Only a season and a half in, and they're really judging that relationship. Yeah, I mean, you know, we don't see Jake every episode. True. But I guess um, they must have used it in the marketing t- a ton up front. Well, I, I think that, yeah, I think they talked about it in the before the show episode dropped a lot. But anyway. Ibri Brooks says, with a group as large as this, it's going to make, it's going to take time for everybody's piece to be sorted. I certainly hope there'll be more episodes with my son to, for the show to have a chance, uh, to have the chance to show the difficulty and even the joy of being a single parent is important to me, especially because he is a male and I am a male. We just shot an episode about Jake moving out of the child thing and into a young adulthood, which I was very pleased with. The more we can show of that personal side, the more attractive the show is to me. And then there's some more questions about uh, his, his blah, blah, blah. Uh, TV Guide. You live alone in Los Angeles, where you film Deep Space Nine. Your wife and children remain in New Jersey. This is a tremendous personal sacrifice. Avery Brooks. I love this. Avery Brooks. I don't like to talk about it, you dig? That's it. There's nothing to discuss. I won't talk about how frequently they come or they go. I understand the fishbowl nature of show business, but it's nobody's business but mine and my family's. My only responsibility is to show up for work and deliver the best I can. Besides, I see no value in discussing the difficulty of holding a family together. It's in the early part of this century, people went anywhere they needed to in order to gain work for as long as they needed to. There it is. Uh, even in matters professionally, you're notir- notoriously press shy, Avery Brooks, in, in maybe one of the chef's qu- kisses quotes of all time. I've not lived long enough yet to have anything profound to say. 
Perhaps I will if I live to be a septuagenarian, but for now, I'm still accumulating. <laughs> Baller. <laughs> right. uh, some more fluff questions. And then, you grew up with music. Avery Brooks, my father had a voice that shook the walls like thunder. He sang for a very famous gospel group named Wings Over Jordan. My mother was a pianist, organist, choral conductor, and one of the first black women to get a master's degree in music from Northwestern. My uncle was one of the original Delta Rhythm Boys. While teaching at Rutgers, I sang with such jazz artists as John Hendricks, Butch Morris, and Lester Bowie. For years, I straddled the fence between the academic and the performance. Might the academic win one day? Yeah. The older I get, the more tired I get. I think maybe I'll slow down. He laughs. It's said that you will only accept roles of dignity and integrity. I thought this was a great exchange. It is said that you will only accept roles of dignity and integrity, but... There, uh, but that's hardly all there is to the human spectrum. You're an actor. Avery Brooks cu- cuts him off. I call myself an artist. Very well, you're an artist. Isn't this attitude a bit narrow-minded? I mean, this is a TV Guide interview. I know, they're going at it. Avery Brooks, it's the way I was raised. I know of no other way to approach my work. When I talk with children who think that I have made it, I tell them about the time, even after Spencer for Hire had started airing, that I was in New York rehearsing the lead role in, in the opera X, The Life and Times of Malcolm X, for the American Music Theater Festival. After getting a telephone call from my agency, I broke away from rehearsal to go read for a television role. When I saw the script, the character was merely listed as the black dude in a pink hat. So the stereotypical black pimp. Nobody with the show was remotely interested in what was going on inside that person, much less his name. The approach was superficial, and it was going to remain that way. I found the contrast between these two opportunities to be so overwhelming that I never again auditioned for a demeaning role again. But what about the financial realities of the business? Would you argue to young, struggling African-American actors to turn down such a part? Damn. I've always picked and chosen carefully, and the consequence of that means I may or may not work, and more likely the latter. I'm ready to accept that consequence, but I'm not judging anybody else. I know what I have to do to be able to live with myself and to look my children in the eyes. TV Guide. This I can't. Yet, you yourself came under fire for starring in a very violent A Man Called Hawk. Navy Brooks. At that time, many people in the press just asked how I could possibly justify my participation. I find it incredibly irresponsible and ultimately ludicrous to suggest that television is somehow responsible for the problems we faced for decades, for centuries. We live in a country whose very history is violent. In many ways, it was founded with violent acts, Yes. We miss the mark when we ask the film and television industries to do what we cannot ourselves do. Our problems were not brought on by the riflemen, and we cannot teach our children the difference if and if we cannot teach our children the difference between fiction and reality, then those problems lie with us. Uh, yeah. And then there's some more. And then the, I'll give you the last couple questions here and then we'll, we'll move on. You're on a hit TV series. Your show is carefully scrutinized. Questions are asked. Is Deep Space 9 a weaker show than The Next Generation? Is Avery Brooks stacking up to Patrick Stewart and William Shatner? You have to deal with these things. No, I don't. Somebody else is making those analyses. My ego is not that large, by the way. It never was. I was hired to do a job. I bring the best I have to work every day. If that's not sufficient, nothing I can do about it. I'm not trying to be glib. There's literally nothing I can do to change that. Are you uncomfortable with comparisons to Stuart and Shatner? The Trekkers really seem to want to make it a contrast, Captain versus Captain versus Commander. Well, they can, and there's nothing I can do about it. But doesn't any aspect of this tickle you? Avery Brooks laughs. Not that I'll share with you. 
I certainly don't resent <laughs> I certainly don't resemble either of them. We're highly different beings. And then finally, are you reluctant to be part of the Star Trek phenomenon? Of course. But what's the harm? What's the danger? And he ends the interview with, the danger is believing that you really have some important part to play in it. The law of gravity denies that. I mean, that's the thing. Like every and this and he is he is consistent He's always been this way. He will always be this way. He's a man of integrity. He he does not suffer fools. He doesn't care what people think. He has, you know, he he brings with him the context of history, the uncomfortable context of history to everything that he does. And we're going to see it as it moves forward. And in in a lot of ways, it's funny like to see this interview from 1994. It feels like an interview from 2022. Yeah, I was going to say it could be like that could be it could be a retrospective looking back. I mean, it, he's, it's really he's way ahead of his time in terms of like integrity and and in and not shying away from context and not and and it's it's. I would imagine he's a it, fascinating. Guy. I would imagine that analysis he has about the comparisons to the other commanders is, is got to be part of the reason he got the gig. Because if you were to really meditate on that, it could crush you as a performer, and you could never give the kind of performance that he's thus far given. Well, and and it has it is part of the job, right? Every captain in every series after the original series has started with a tremendous amount of hatred and resentment and you know like people who who get so angry about the contemporary shows and discovery and the and the you know angry people about new trek or whatever yeah well people were saying the exact same thing about patrick stewart and the next generation in 1987 right. and they were saying about deep space nine then they were saying it about kate mulgrew every single one of them starts out being hated and only moving forward do we gain some appreciation for it so yeah i imagine in the hiring process you're like hey guess what uh you're gonna do this awesome new thing and it's gonna be a great job but uh all the super fans or or many of the super fans uh, they're gonna hate you yeah. for a while mm -hmm. and then they're gonna love you and that sort of is the pattern that has happened through every generation of star trek and uh yeah i mean it's it's good to go in with the attitude of like I can't control this. It's not my not my business. I'm going to do my job. So, uh, I thought it was a great interview. Great interview, and and I think I think knowing him a little bit does inform the show moving forward, and doesn't inform his performance. Um, so, uh, all right. So let's finally talk about Armageddon game, and uh, we begin in the teaser. With Bashir and O'Brien are on an alien ship helping two formerly warring species disarm their super-powerful bio-weapons. It's a very dangerous situation made impossible to take serious due to Andy Dick's insane hair. It's not actually Andy Dick. It just looks a lot like It does him. look like Andy Dick. Uh, we'll see Andy Dick on Star Trek later. Uh, apparently, this war... Those are Emmy award-winning, Keith, so check yourself. I know. Uh, come on, tell me he doesn't look like Andy Dick. He does kind of look like Andy Dick. Yeah, That's what I'm saying. So apparently, this war was between the brown bucket head elves and the black and gray chode elves. They've been working for a week, but Bashir is incredibly frustrated by the resiliency of their weapons. They put one last biobomb in the bucket, and this time it finally works. It's a very big deal. 
This leads BGC and Any Dick Stunt Double to do some speeches and agree that uh, the work isn't done until all the scientific data is also destroyed. So this can never be replicated again. Just like America and Russia did after the Cold War. Oh, wait, what's that? They made a ton more that were even bigger? Cool. So we go to Act 1. And uh, so what did... So, yeah, all right. So we've, we've had our teaser. Mike, weigh in on the teaser here. I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool that they were there on, like, a peacekeeping mission and that they had to destroy the weapons. I thought it was a very altruistic idea. Uh, no, no even hint of the fallout of what could be. I mean, obviously, there's going to be some because it's the teaser. But I thought it was... I, I, I was in. I, I definitely was in. So in Act 1, O'Brien and Bashir zoom Cisco with the good news. Cisco tells him to eh, stay for the cast party, mm-hmm. even though O'Brien wants to go home like I would. Well, he was definitely uh, pimping for uh, for for Bashir there. He wanted the wingman Bashir, uh, but O'Brien's like, I don't know, there's some guy in a podcast hitting pretty hard on my wife, <laughs> so I better get back to the station. Yeah, pretty soon it won't be an eggplant that's uh, encroaching on the screen. All right. Ew. That's the face. Avery's like, I, yeah, yeah, go get some yeah. Bashir. <laughs> <laughs> Go find you a buckethead ballerina. Yes. So back on the cool-looking ship, Bashir. See that? What a great-looking yeah, shot! So that cool. Is. Yeah. That ship looks great. The plant looks great. That whole thing looks fantastic. Um, Bashir is given the honor of destroying the, the last very Red last Bull. Red Bull. But that's when the the uh, the big chode heads attack. <laughs> now I can't see anything but Andy Dick. they shoot all the scientists until bashir and o'brien somehow overpower them with starfleet elbows i mean yeah i mean suspension of disbelief but literally they blast they rambo everybody except these two i mean did you see o'brien's barrel roll it was not particularly impressive Uh, well it's probably about as good as our barrel roll yeah that's true are these screenshots that i tried to take but didn't go well. Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're very good at fighting for some reason. This um, the best line here is Bashir just goes, "They're all dead." <laughs> <laughs> like your your Starfleet double punch and elbow killed them? No, it's they they got blasted. Uh, okay. But that witch's cauldron in the middle looks like something's about to pop. Yeah, that, there's a problem. So, uh, but in the fight, O'Brien is splashed with the bioweapon goo, and we don't notice it. Or we do, but they don't. Uh, they can't get in contact with the shuttle, but they are able to beam down to the surface before the BGCs get inside. Uh, and they set the transporter to overload after they do to cover their tracks. So uh, we're on a little, you know, escape and chasey sort of a deal here. It's funny, you um, go from, I thought, I was thinking, you know, you go from such a great CGI, like, look outside, and the zoomed out uh, picture of the set's really great, but then once we zoom in a little too much, this, the hoax style here is a little high. It's, well, yeah, I mean, they didn't have the, up-res the time didn't help or the here. budget to, to yeah. backlight a lot of that stuff. Uh, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't look great. Does, doesn't look great up Um, but, uh. Hey, look, they had to build that set in, like, two days. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Uh, the phasers look cool, though. Yeah. So, uh, in Act 2, Cisco is ordering what sounds like a delicious breakfast. 
when Kira says that the Buckethead elves and the BGC ambassadors have shown up and need to talk to him. They head back to the office, and the two ambassadors announce that Bashir and O'Brien are dead. And they say that O'Brien triggered a security device, killing everybody. Cisco asks for proof, and they give him the security tapes. On a USB drive? It looks but a yeah. lot like a USB drive. Well, you know, Star Trek is famous for inventing things before they happen. They yeah. invented the iPad. So, I mean, you know, we, we see it on screen now, and it's no big deal. He's, like, tapping away on the pad. Like, that didn't exist when this came yeah, out. that's wild. Wild. So, uh, it doesn't even look weird. So, they say that they don't blame O'Brien, but it's clear that the, uh, the Chode Head ambassador, the Chode Elf, is lying. Uh, so, we, uh, we get a decent matte painting of the surface. Um... Yeah, not not bad. I think it's good. We we've been getting criticized, Keith, that we're a little too hard on these matte paintings. Well, I mean, I think the paintings themselves are beautiful. I mean, they're they're. I think the the matte the matte artists are incredibly talented, and and yeah, I mean, the one from last episode, it is a beautiful painting. I, the only thing that's sort of to criticize about it is it's very clearly a painting. Yeah, but I mean, as an establishing shot on a four by three passing by on your little tv it's we're not it's not yeah, like it's getting with it yeah it's we're not it's not like we're staying on this if when we stay on the screenshot for too long yeah for sure but no i, I mean it's it is just a limitation of the technology of the time which is just flat out and movies had to do the same thing this whole next scene in fact all the scenes of them in this little hovel that they're kind of hiding out in i think the lighting is so awesome they do all this kind of that cool external lighting and it's really neat yeah, well, they, they, well, and and lighting is a thing that you can do well, regardless of the budget, right? Right, regardless of how the set looks, you can always light it well, and that's per, actually perhaps why the set on the ship in the laboratory doesn't look as good because it's a lab, so it's basically they just turned on the fluorescent lights yeah, it's at the top, and so it's a little bit overlit. Which is why you can't really hide some of the the detail work, which didn't look good. But it, and it's a science lab; it's going to be lit like that. Um, so uh, we see that they're on a wasteland of a city that was destroyed years before in the war. O'Brien and Bashir find some emergency supplies after O'Brien is smart enough to check it for booby traps, which they is just... a great juxtaposition to what he was just accused of. Right, yeah, setting off a no, booby trap for sure. They discuss the Chode Elves' motivations, and what and Bashir wants to make a run for it. But O'Brien says they're more likely to be detected if they're moving around, and their best bet is to hide in place and wait for the Federation. Partially, this is a good idea, and partially because they budgeted for an on-the-run episode and realized they couldn't afford it. Well, it's also very much very similar to the advice Keith's mom always gave him when they went to the mall. If you get lost, Keith, meet me at the fountain in the middle, all right? Mm-hmm. Did you have a mall where you were? Hell yeah, we did. Okay. Burlington Square Mall. Great. I'm just saying, you make it sound like you lived in like a, a, a GD wood cabin in the middle of nowhere. I mean, I did, but we could drive to a mall from mm-hmm. there. And once you got those chains on the wheels. <laughs> we, had chain, we had chains on the tires, for sure. Uh, all right. Where am I? Uh, the uh, What they don't know, and we do, is that Cisco has been told they're dead and will not be looking for them. 
So they're waiting out. Is maybe not going to work. That mm. phaser's rifle's great. I want yeah, one the lighting helps, yeah. Uh, then O'Brien finds a communication device. Maybe he can fix it. Bashir wants to backseat fix, but O'Brien tells him to go away. And, uh, you know, Bashir's being annoying, but is lit really well. Mm-hmm. So back on the station, we see Cisco watch the security tapes. It starts out as what we saw, but then is clearly doctored. O'Brien, drinking coffee, announces that there's a weird program running that he can't shut down. Damn those pop-up ads. There's a flash, and then everyone is vaporized. Looks like they also invented the deep fake, huh, Keith? They sure did. Yeah, yeah. Which I would imagine in this time frame, like, they would... I mean, we're going to have to deal with this now, right? You know, T-minus right now how do we adjudicate the validity of video and audio because you know used to like oh play the tape oh it's proof well now i mean even you and i could do something that sounds i do it for work yeah so you you know I, i use a program and it basically compiles i do a lot of voiceover for my work and it has recorded you know, once it gets past, I believe it's 12 hours of one single person's voice, it has enough to compile. I think for me, it's put together like 250 words, which is a pretty good vocabulary that it can UI, deep fake. So, you know, if I'm going, I do a lot of click tutorials. So it's like, move your mouse here, click this, click the red box, blah, blah, blah. If I have to go in and there's a UI change and we have to change just like one or two words, I can just click the word, delete it, retype it into the transcript and it will use my voice to to ai fake it and that's like the lowest level of what the tech yeah yeah i mean i it's it's coming it's already here there was that there was that documentary on 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 anthony bourdain and they used an ai version of his voice compiled version of his voice to to do some voiceover now the filmmakers chose to disclose it at the top of the movie they were still criticized for whatever reason but that's them still being generous enough to mention that they did that. They could very well have just made you think he had recorded this. Well, and I, you know, I, I think the the scary parts of that are incoming. Like, you know, hey, 2024 election is coming. And election meddling moving forward is probably not going to be finding the damn emails. It's going to be, here's a video, a flawless video of candidate X doing something horrible. Well, here's my not so not so conspiracy theory, right? Mhm. Or and, and I'm just going to I don't know what they're going to do with it. I'm just going to say that this is the problem. So, you know, my family, a lot of people out there download these apps that takes your face and is like, "Oh, here's what I'd look like old. Here's what I'd look like oh, like God. a girl." All those stupid things. Now but China owns all of your things. That's the thing. It, what in that agreement in that TOS that you signed in the very beginning, you released your data. So now all these scans of your face that, as you can see, can be AI'd onto anything, exist somewhere for someone. Now, I'm not saying they'll do anything nefarious with it, but if you've seen anything about, you know, the yeah. human species, uh, the prospect oh, is yeah. good. No, no, we we have, we are not prepared for our digital security with that type of a thing moving forward. Anyway, uh, let's go back to 1994 before we had to we were we were doing those mm-hmm. cameras. Yeah. 
So Dax, Odo, and Kira are pissed and want to investigate. Cisco is sad but stoic and tells them to arrange a new doctor and a new engineer. He sits, sets the memorial service at 6 o'clock and dismisses the senior staff. Um, always, God, the, you know, and there's, there's a scene later um, with Rosalind Chow. Those are the hardest friggin' scenes to act to be told somebody is dead cold. Oh, it's the it's so you could hard go either to way. I, we talked on many of our shows about, and I talked on the watch along about how the the easy choice is to just be hysterical, right? Not it's not always easy to act that, but that's your instinct goes there. But as Keith and I have mentioned before, fighting emotion is a much more active and interesting thing to watch than someone just be hysterical. Now, when we get to the Keiko scene, you could argue that someone learning their spouse just got obliterated would probably freak out. But as they do a great job in the episode to explain, I think it's something as a military wife or a, a I, don't, I get that's the best way I can say it. Well, close. Yes. Close. close. Yeah. That's you're almost always prepared for it when they go to work or yeah. a firefighter, you know, like a, or a gold star family in any way that's yeah. they're almost, it doesn't make it easy, but you're kind of prepared. And I think this this comes up a lot in police investigations where we do not understand shock. Mm-hmm. And and we don't understand that everybody reacts to shock in different ways and many people become very stoic. They shut down everything and then they use that as an excuse like, "Oh, we clearly killed his wife. Mm-hmm. He wasn't crying." Right. Well, no, that's not how we work. Anyway, uh back on the planet Bashir saunters around bored. He starts to annoy O'Brien by chatting. He's hoping, he was hoping to go to Poundtown with a Talani woman. And they continued discussing women and marriage. Apparently, Bashir was in once in love and it didn't work out. He says that marriage isn't fair to their spouses because of how dangerous their jobs are. He eventually clocks how offensive that is to O'Brien, but doubles down by mentioning that moving to Deep Space Nine has not been good for O'Brien's marriage. Um, really interesting conversation there. I thought so, too. In fact, you know, often Julian is a little immature, a little a little brash or rash, and, or, or, and, and here it's the same, but what I thought was really great about the writing, I think the writing this whole episode is excellent, what I thought was really great about the writing here is that I think he's wanting to have a moment and and he's but what's being reciprocated is a lot of bluster from O'Brien and also he's sort of talking down to him a bunch. What's the word I'm looking for? He's condescending. He's, he's condescending, he's a little emasculating of him. You can't help, don't bother, blah blah. Yeah, why don't you go over there and fiddle with your shit? And I think that some of what comes out from Julian isn't just him clock he clocks that he's being a little offensive when he's talking about the relationships and how career officers don't wouldn't even consider it but i think there's you see in his performance and i think it's a great performance here too yeah i do too he that he decides he's going to push some buttons because you've been being a dick to me i'm going to be a dick to you and i think that that sets the tension between them a little higher and i think he's justified a little bit to be a little off be a little pissed off and it helps the resolution later i think yeah and, and I, you, know, you talk about the writing because like you're the the standard way to write that scene is beat one he says something that he realizes is offensive 
to O'Brien. O'Brien bristles. He backs down and apologizes, changes the subject or whatever. That's standard, the standard way to write that scene. But in this case, beat two, we see him dis- clocking that I'm offending this and choosing to escalate mm-hmm. it intentionally. Um, and that was just, I, that surprised me when I watched it. Yep. I expected him to back down. He said, no, actually, I'm going to go down a little further. Um, just good writing. And, and like you said, I think this is, uh, I think I wrote, wrote it later, but I think this is Alex Siddig's best performance of the show. 100%. So 100% agree. So O'Brien puts on a blanket and Bashir immediately clocks that he is sick. He starts examining him and discovers, uh-oh, he has been infected by the harvesters. And he was in Nexium, Keith, apparently. Mm, big problem. Which, uh, we go to Act 3, and Cisco goes to have the talk with Keiko. She can tell immediately by his face what happened. Um, Rosalind does a good job not overdoing it in a really difficult scene as an actor. Like I said, like, that is, it is an impossible task. Especially because you know it's coming. She's read the script, mm-hmm. so she has to, like, play normal play the shock and decide how to receive that i thought like they're both doing it and ben clearly is upset but he's got to deliver this news as commander they both have relationships ben wants to say so much but all he says is he was a great officer there's so much it's a great example of a scene where nothing is on the page it's very it's everything's between the lines which is which is cool less is more less is more so back on the planet, O'Brien's eyes start failing. Bashir tries to take his place in fixing the communications device, and uh, O'Brien tries talking him through the repair. We go back to Quarks, and Dax and Kira talk. Apparently, O'Brien gave uh, uh, Bashir gave Dax his diaries to help get to know him better. Okay, Mike. Giving a girl your diaries that you think is cute, that is a serial killer move, buddy. That is weird. Okay, hold on. Hold on, though. Before we throw that stone, Keith. Okay. I want you to think about some of the courting Mm -hmm. you've done in your time, myself included. We're both here. What's one of the things you maybe do on the first date or you wait a couple dates, but eventually it's like, hey, uh, listen to this song I wrote. Hey. Hey, listen, hey, watch these YouTube videos that I clipped together of these songs I wrote. Uh, listen to these demos I did of these like of these like love songs. Like so, and subscribe, baby. Yeah, so there's a sh- the different that's the that's analogous to like a doctor who was going through a bunch of stuff and he like kept all his journals of his time in med school. Like that's his flex to her. That's just, there's no difference. No. It's not like his dear diary. It's 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 more just his he was just no. doing it. Do not throw that stone, buddy. You no, you no, no, played no, no. those Playing songs. Song. You sat down and played all those ditties, sparking I my mean, eyes. You were like, "This is gonna get in those pants." <laughs> I sure yes. However, <laughs> those ditties, uh, hoping that I would achieve. You know what I mean. Those were intentionally designed to be public those were those were like intentionally this this is to show you something like it it is not quite the same thing as like a dear diary it was weird i'm telling you no 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 guys right below 
Is is it as innocent as as Mike playing his YouTube videos? It's definitely not as savage as her having not read them. Although maybe maybe those are the right call. No, because there are boundaries. Well, Kira doesn't think so because Dax is like, maybe I should give them to his family. And Kira's like, nah, why don't you hang on to them? No, no, it's like, no, no. The boundaries, right? Because it's like, right, you might... Keith, I've got your like yeah, I've got your books, right? Like, if you if you kick it, what do you want me to do with those? Should I give them to Should I give them to Sean or should I just like my my books that are publicly available on Amazon now? <laughs> links below. Links below. <laughs> Probably literally are links below. I know it's uh, a joke. No, that's not yeah. the same thing. It's like it's like hey, check out my browser history. I don't think it's like, as creepy as Keith's making it. He's he was showing the vulnerable side. I think it's fine. So tell him. It's not so his high school diary. Person. It's his med school stuff. It's when he was like becoming a doctor. So what, Keith? It's not. Uh, look, it's one thing to to court a, a humanoid. I mean, if you're trying to court a a trill, you got to go for it. You got to go for the kill when you're courting a trill. <laughs> There's a t-shirt. Okay, folks, tell Mike he's wrong. Mm. So uh, you know what to do, guys. Uh, anyway, so he said that in JD, there were I want a his... three-page report and go. <laughs> he said they were his innermost thoughts and dreams and insecurities about pressure, but she never read them. You want to know why? Because it's class A creepy and she understands boundaries. It's just like, hey, here, look at the poop I made. Boundaries. It's not poop. Okay. Well, I mean, it depends. It's not written for public. I mean, if you want me to show you how the bidet works because it's, you're interested, I'm, I'll show you. No, thank you. Like, if you, if you, all right. So let's let's say he was like, oh, I'm going to do like a little WordPress blog. I have Read the journal blog. entry I wrote the day I met my wife. I had framed and I gave to her as a present. I yes, think that's that one entry, that one thing. All right, whatever. And you were also, you weren't just handing it to some random girl on the street. You're like... Dax ain't like, rando. They've been trying, they've been flirty flirts no, for a no. while. He's just like, I'm like, I'm riding the end train. Saw hot girl across from me. Got a boner. Here, that's read this. That's not what it's his journal's like. That's what thoughts. your journal's like. But Julian's is much more uh, sophisticated. It's just pictures of eggplants spanning pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just death. So next, Julian Quark comes, o- Quark Julian comes Dax, over Julian and Dax. All right, all right. has a great little Quark, Quark scene. Quark shows up and offers them free, mostly empty drinks. They do a toast. He commemorates them by saying they paid their bills on time. Then Keiko barges into Ops wanting to talk to Cisco. She shows him the video again. But she points to O'Brien drinking coffee. He's drinking in the late afternoon, but he never drinks in the late afternoon. That's how she figured it out? She didn't notice the, like, clear cut in the video? Like, you see it happen. You know, it it just could have been a tracking issue. Oh, you're right, you're right, you're right. You don't know. Uh, but she said he never drinks coffee in the afternoon, except for that one time on Next Generation when he did. But anyway, uh, she figured out that the video has been, excuse me, tampered with. Dax and Cisco head back to the planet to investigate. You know what I love about this scene while we're here? Um, We talked about writing before. The easy way to write this scene is to have everybody scoff and not believe her and to be very skeptical. Easy way to write the scene, and then they get their comeuppance when she is right, proved right. But no, 
they all give her they all give deference to her opinion to her belief and and Cisco jumps to action right away I think it's awesome yeah and and I think that there's I expected the episode to be about her convincing them he's not dead which I think would be a good episode yeah um, but time but that's yeah, the time but the time you don't have yeah. the time for that um anyway so we we are we are we're running long today uh it's okay we're good but but Mike if uh if Jen needed to prove that you had not been vaporized when she saw something on a video, what would it be? What would the thing that you would be doing that would prove? That's it a had great been question. With? What a great question! I should have been ready for something like that. Um, some sort of thing like as clean as I am, I'm pro- probably folding the laundry or something like that, or uh, not using your bidet. Yeah, like Mike, me going to get like three rolls of toilet paper because I'm like toilet paper free now because I'm bidet, all bidet all the time. Or like doing the cat litter or like, you know, something I like that. I regret having asked that. <laughs> I think for me, I think for me it would be sort of similarly stupid. Like if you saw me not watching the Bruins game. Mm-hmm. Or the Giants game, or something like you know, if, you know, not like I don't. Yeah. Delay oh, stuff. it was three. It was one oh five on a Sunday. There's no chance he wouldn't have been watching the game. Like he, he yeah, wouldn't have yeah. been out at the yeah. you know doing but, science experiments. Like one oh five on a Sunday, and I'm like going to get a cup of coffee. No, under no circumstances. Well, also, it's like wasn't it suspicious the way they really like if you're gonna deep fake a video, you know, have him be like, huh, I wonder what this is. Beep. But instead, they have him like, oh, I've never seen anything like this before. Hmm, do you think I should push it? Okay, I'm about to push it. Boop. <laughs> and it wasn't even like an explosion. They just instantly disappeared. Yeah, well, you know, the, they didn't have budget for that, okay? I know, but what's great about that is that they, at least they, speaking of writing, at least they took the time. Sometimes it added exposition. You're like, ugh. But sometimes it works. Like they have Odo instantly be like, I have heard about these types of fail safes. It's not yeah. bizarre at all. In fact, it's quite plausible. Believe me, I'm Odo. Well, but like it would be. Like why why wouldn't it, it be that way? And honestly, like a opening up the uh, the the file you shouldn't have opened up is gonna come up in the future. No, in so- fact, since we're all here, let's take this as an opportunity for an all staff. We should get some protection like this for our bridge because you know we've been uh, we've been uh, attacked and taken over pretty easily, like maybe two to three times already. So maybe we need like a failsafe booby trap. Yeah, that's probably probably not a bad idea. Probably not a bad idea. I mean, uh, yeah, you got you got that little malware. So yeah, I mean, actually, there's going to be a spoiler alert, a fantastic episode of of Deep Space Nine where they find a little piece of malware on the sh- on the station. That will uh, escalate in fantastic ways. All right. Uh, anyway, uh, Dax. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So on the surface, Bashir and O'Brien continue to work on the device while O'Brien gets sicker. O'Brien asks about the woman that got away from Bashir, doing a pretty solid Bashir impression. Uh, he says he was dating a ballerina with exquisite feet, which proves it was a lie. The uh, a ballerina with exquisite feet is like the girlfriend who lives in Canada because point shoes are murder on feet. Yeah, but ballet might change, buddy. Ballet might we might we might 
evolve past the just friggin' crazy feet that dancers have. Because I mean, it's true, their feet are crazy. Whoever and wrote generally this they are too. But did mm. never did date a dancer because. <laughs> That is like the one thing the ballet dancers have beautiful everything, but their feet Less look so. like a wood chipper. Yeah, not great. Uh, all right. But he so didn't Bash- say if, he said her arches, and they do have nice her arches. arches. Yeah, I mean that's true. Mangled toes, all the but bleeding nice and calluses and such. Um, anyway, I did it a ballroom dancer. Her feet were fine. Uh, so Bashir puts a gizmo in the device, and it lights up. But it doesn't work yet. Bashir continues his story. He lost the dancer because he wouldn't give up his Starfleet career. Thus putting more context to his previous conversation with O'Brien. O'Brien says that... I can't... I just wrote a nonsense sentence. It doesn't make sense. Well, he says throw some WD-40 on that shit and get it in the machine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, O'Brien can't work anymore. He is suffering. Oh, he can't walk anymore. His his legs. Oh, yeah, yeah. He can't walk anymore, can't see anymore. He is clearly suffering. This will be a running theme for the rest of the series. So, uh, Mike, keep an eye out. Drinking game. Every time O'Brien suffers from here on out. Is it because of this disease, his brand, or just just in brand? They just like to masochize him. Masochize? Did I just make a word up? You sure did. Uh, he's certainly, <laughs> it's true, because masochism, by definition, is to yourself. Yeah. So you can't really macasize anyone other than yourself. Although, Keith, you playing those songs as you were trying to macasize some, uh, some ladies. Yes, well, not surprisingly, not super successful, <laughs> so I had to macasize myself. So, uh, anyway, in Act 4, Cisco and Dax arrive on the alien ship. They want to see where the accident took place. Dax goes to look at O'Brien and Bashir's runabout. We head back to the surface and they get a radio the radio working and are able to send out a distress signal. Uh which is kind of risky because if they're like if if the uh if any of the elves find us, they're gonna kill us. So we're just hoping this gets intercepted. Yeah, by... And that you know the elves are looking for them anyway, so well, that's that's true, but this is like here's where we are. I thought it was cool uh, that I, they said he he. That I thought it was cool that O'Brien, you know, they can't get the thing working, so he's like, see if you can switch to an RF signal. Now RF is generally what we use now, you know, radio frequency. But for them, since they have high quality tech, RF is like antiquated. Yeah, it's us being like, yo, Keith, pull out that cassette. That's all we got. Get the four track out. Hey, you know that the cassettes they still work. A lot of your compact discs and your DVDs will die, especially yeah. If you're watching, just like pro tip, all of your uh, your CDRs, uh, get those off of those CDRs yeah. because those those CDs are not designed to last. Remember for more when the than tape would years. crawl out and you'd get a pencil, at the end of a pencil, and you just like rewind it you back. You can in. fix a tape, yeah. like it'll degrade slowly, but those CDRs, it is a one or a zero. It'll work or it won't. Uh, all right, so O'Brien thinks he's gonna die before they get rescued. He says that Bashir is wrong about marriage. That marriage is a great adventure, too. Which it is. I thought it was, the whole monologue here was really great. It was really touching to me. Yeah. Um, and I wrote down, this is Alexander Siddiq's best performance so far. Yes. Um, I thought Kalamini was great, too. He's always great. Yeah, fair. He's uh, always great. But uh, yeah, it's a good, It's a that was a great little couplet that they had there. Which would not have been in the episode, that whole 
theme would be missed if this was Dax. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so I'm wondering how late in the game they made that adjustment. Clearly they had time. This is very well written. Yeah. Very I mean, it really does change the entire the themes of all the episode, let alone just the episode. Uh, on the ship, Cisco discusses the security tapes with the buckethead elf lady. He asks the chodehead... Who is not a great if, actress. I, I don't mean the performance. I mean, she's not... Right, the character the is not a great not a actress. Good actress. No. Uh, he asks if they might have faked it. She says peace can only survive if they trust each other. Cisco then beams onto the Ganges runabout, and Dax finds that five seconds of data has been erased. They piece together quickly that uh, they must have survived after all. On the surface, O'Brien is now really suffering. He asks if Bashir has talked to the ballerina since they broke up. Bashir says, nah. Then, the Buckethead Elf shows up. She's been working with the Chode Heads the whole time. It turns out they weren't trying to, to uh, start the war again, like they first thought, but they wanted to kill everyone who could recreate the weapons, and that included Bashir and O'Brien. Uh, which, honestly, makes sense. Yeah, there's some sense to it, but also, like, Keith, have you read Moby Dick? Uh, ye- I mean, when I was, like, 13. Yeah, but you read it, right? Call me Ishmael, baby. Yeah, so if you popped up your laptop right now, how much do you think you could recreate a Moby Dick? Oh, I could get, like, a Moby paragraph or two? Yeah, see, so I imagine that the schematics of a high tech nuclear slash world ending weapon biological weapon is probably pretty dense right mm-hmm. so like just having seen it doesn't mean you could recreate it no but i guess if you're like you know what that if you're like a, a a gangster and you're trying to eliminate anybody who was near like saw the crime maybe you don't even want people who just saw the crime anybody who was near the crime you gotta you gotta wipe them out well i i think it's like understanding the basic principles because in order in order for Bashir in particular to find a way to kill it he had to really understand how it worked mm. so it's sort of like if i understand how a nuke works in basic terms right that would be a a really good place to start if i wanted to recreate it as opposed to like oh chamber this goes to chamber y and then you put in the nuclear and the blah 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 if you didn't know that to start with, it would be harder. So I I get it, and okay, I, they, and they and they both like spent weeks. I love that going plan. One it. was, it, I mean, I guess they're on the their their backs are against the wall right now. So plan one was, you know, fake the death and make it seem like they were it was a heroic accident. Okay, cool. Plan B, even though Cisco's on to them clearly, is let's just blast them. Well, they don't know, they don't know that Cisco is on to them yet. She's got to know. He was well, like, I mean, might be suspicious. Yeah, but you know, but at some point, like as we find out, right? Even the even if Cisco knows, even if they do blast him, they're not going to Federation's not going to go to war. Over yeah, him. I mean, I mean, at this at this level of decision making for and the and the and the ramifications, the consequences, and the decision they've made to like wipe nuclear. If you could, I mean, that's the question we'll get to, right? It's the it's I forget the name of the experiment where it's like you have a person decide whether they're going to divert oh, the train. The trolley. From, yeah, yeah, the trolley. It's kind of that, yeah. right? Can peace between two warring factions for potentially all time versus the lives of five people 
I'm not weighing in on this. I'm just saying that's kind of the the the, the, yeah. the dilemma presented here. The impossible here. decision that you're yeah. in here, yeah. And I think so, once again, good writing. We'll talk about this later. In that we're not making these just like sniveling, festering evil villains. They they are in their minds justified and altruistic. Yeah, yeah. They're choosing the lesser of two evils. So uh, in Act Five, there is a very very long hesitation before they execute Bashir and O'Brien. O'Brien wants to die in his feet, and they did a really good job of making Colum look sick. Uh, just before they get executed, after everybody's staring at each other for about five Oof, minutes. He does look straight terrible. He does not look good. These, he looks well, like you know, Melting Odo. He does look like Melting Odo. Like, I can't believe how long... If their plan is just, like, to wipe him out, they just sort of stare at each other for forever. No Emmys for makeup, but just just, just hair. No, just hair. Okay. Uh, but I, I guess perhaps their hesitation here is proof that these are not yeah. naturally killers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I uh, agree, yeah, 100%. So. I think it... Rem- I don't think... You know, it's, it's funny. We're about to talk about it, but there's... I, I don't know that there's many wormholes I can even come up with. It's really... It's a pretty airtight episode. No, it's pretty tight. Pretty tight. Um, and uh, But they are rescued. They are beamed out by Dax and Cisco. The ships then head out towards the runabout. Their communications and sensors are blocked, and they begin a ship chase. They demand, of course, the, the, the bucket heads, demand that they turn over Bashir and O'Brien, or they will destroy the runabout. Cisco turns around, and tries to uh, and tries to to fight them, but of course they are hopelessly outgunned, and they eventually blow up the runabout and destroy it, and the ship heads back to grab the other runabout, but of course Andy they Dick. did a bait and switch and piloted it by remote. They look like who's Keith? She looks like Cindy Lou Who? Who? <laughs> patreon.com slash knm for this <laughs> comedic masterpiece so back on the station o'brien is recovering in the infirmary bashir can't help but being annoying he he has to be annoying but he talks about their burgeoning friendship and we finish with a tag with o'brien of course asking for coffee late in the afternoon so he was rescued by something was wrong. So that's not even a sentence. Ooh, I need a sandwich. <laughs> and now it's time for Mike and Deglio's Star Trek vocabulary quiz. Okay, Mike. Help explain what is an Udaberry crepe. That's a crepe with Udaberry in it, Keith. All right, short and sweet. I hope those. Udaberry? Udaberry. Ah, as sweet as an Udaberry. All right, and next up, Mike, what's an R? What is an RF oscillator? Well, Keith, when your communications are down and the power source is a little bit too weak, you got to go back to the old technology. You got to pull out that cassette tape, that Walkman, and shoot out a radio frequency that could potentially mm-hmm. be uh, reach to the get, to get you beamed out before they shoot you. And don't forget, you got to oscillate it. Well, you got to oscillate it, obviously. I mean, otherwise, it's not going to get through. All right, Mike, what do you say? We come along home. Yeah, we absolutely should do that, Keith. 
Yeah. And once I Perhaps. hit the button, it's going to be loud. Yeah, you think we should? Here we are back at Quarks. Everyone, tip one out to our fallen comrades who have returned to us. Very exciting. Now, is, a good tag would have been also having Quark come and ask for them to pay for those drinks because it turns out they weren't oh, dead. 100%. 100%. Uh, all right. So, Mike, were there any wormholes in the plot? <sighs> You know, I didn't clock any. Usually I take a, a couple notes, and I didn't really clock any. I mean, my biggest, as I started to kind of talk about when we were, when we were going through it, the, 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 the bad guy cover-up plan gets a little fuzzy after it initially gets blown up. But, as you said, the stakes were high, and they were scrambling at that point, and clearly they knew that at the end of the day they were willing to kill a Starfleet commander and or whomever yeah. in order to do this, which actually brings up really interesting questions to me. I'm sure that I, I doubt we deal with these, but it's interesting because is that a war? He said it's, you're committing an act of war, but in their opinion, it's not a war crime. They're they're protecting the, the ultimate peace. So like, how does justice work, right? In when you when you have incidents like this, who is the the ultimate command? Who is the ultimate? Who's like well, the, the Hague well, of the of the galaxy? I mean, Starfleet is the one who usually is arbitrating a lot of this stuff. But, you know, it, it is very much like, um, you know, diplomacy between countries. There is, I mean, like, you know, right now, look at look at the war in Ukraine, right? Mm -hmm. You know, there, yes, we have the UN. <clears throat> yes, we have NATO. But they're not really the boss of anything. Right. They're just saying we have banded together to implement consequences for what you're doing as opposed to you know there there is no boss it's just the boss is whoever has the biggest gun and you hope that that whoever has the biggest gun is is uh you know a good guy yeah i don't really have any wormholes to be honest I, nothing really jumped out at me that that is is bothersome it's pretty pretty airtight as i said yeah i i my my initial one was was what I said there was I didn't understand why they were sort of not great at mm -hmm. the the killing process the hunting down process why they fell for the the ship thing a little easy but the the answer to that is these are not warriors these are scientists these are you know ambassadors and administrators so they they they're just not used to it that's not it's not what they do and their motives are not warlike you know they're they're dire um but th these are not killers but they are killing yes the only i guess you you do raise one question though and i guess it, the stakes are questionable because you know the the only the the service that you're let me start from the from the, from the back from the let me go backwards to the front they sacrificed a, you would assume the greatest scientific minds of their yeah. species because you have yeah. to have your top people working on this obviously. So yeah. that's a huge sacrifice because it's not just nuke it's not just biological weapons that these people work on, right? So you're probably setting back the advancement of your technology and and 
decades, if not more so, because you've killed off the top mines. Well, yes, but you realize how large a population you have, right? Like, you know, take let's say it's us. Let's say we kill off the top 15 scientists in the world. Well, there's a heck of a lot of them out there and a heck of a lot of great ones. So, like, yeah, you're losing those 15, but that's only a half of 1% of the high-level scientists on our planet. All right. Well, then the last thing I'll say on it, uh, if we don't have anything else, is that the least you could have done in that case, we're giving them a lot of credit. The least you could have done is to actually have set up that vaporization thing. Like yeah, vaporize them. For real. You had to have your two goons come on and blast them away. That was kind of shitty. Yeah. That Well, the, and it's sloppy. Yeah. It's it's sloppy to do it that way. Um if you think if Which, you're gonna if you're gonna perpetrate like one of the biggest cover ups in your planet's history, like do, blow do the better. ship up, yeah, do better. Blow the, there's there's plenty of things you could have done. Which is it is a wormhole. It is a plot convenience because you you they need to be sloppy in order to even have a story here. Um, but I think it's a little bit rescued by the fact that these people are not professionals. Yeah, I agree with that. They're amateurs. All right. So best moment. I like. Oh, there's so many good moments here. I think the moment between I'm going to pick the moment between Cisco and Keiko because they both had to do. They both took the harder choice as performers and sold it, and sold it in close up, which is even harder to do. Uh, it, and if you go back, there was a screenshot I had of just Keiko's face, and it's all there. The whole everything she feels and thinks is between is behind her eyes, and you see it. It's on the screen, and Ben too, and uh, it's just. It's a great bit of acting without doing too much, which is more difficult, which is yeah. hard to explain, but it's just the way it is. It is indeed. And that's not uh, to take anything away from great scenes with Bashir and O'Brien. Well, and I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll help you out there because like, you know, I'll I'll choose you know, it's it's not one specific moment, but the the ongoing conversation between Bashir and O'Brien on the planet when they're talking about relationships and marriage and obligation and and you, you know the danger you put yourself in and I think that that was um, I thought it was really well written I thought the ideas were well articulated there was no one side that won it was just an exploration of a lot of that stuff and it was really excellent performances i mean colomini is an incredibly seasoned wonderful talented actor um but i think we also got a chance to see alex Siddig grow here mm-hmm. as an actor i mean he's so young good lord and to to be bouncing off somebody like colum i think it really raised everybody's game and i think it raised his game and i think it elevated both him as an actor it elevated the character it gave us a color of bashir that we have haven't really seen yet, like a depth and some growth there. Um, that we see the adult side of Bashir start to mm-hmm. speak up from the sort of puppy dog version we've seen thus far, and it's deepened the whole thing. It also is gigantic for their relationship moving forward. We've had a couple this season. We start to see them connecting. Mm-hmm. Right. And there's, you know, there's a lot of conflict and contempt, but we're starting to see the cracks break in that contempt. Um, and that is going to be interesting to watch it develop. And this is also what elevates this beyond sort of like the episodic like thing of the week. We're starting to see character growth. We're starting to see relationship growth in a way that is not always as 
followed through on Trek at this point. And, you know, now I, I've said this about Deep Space Nine, but Deep Space Nine has the most character growth and relationship growth of any Trek, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and we're starting to see that here. So I like that. Mike, let's handle some stem bolts. Yeah, I'll start with an idea uh, before I, I, I forget this point. You know, in media, you often see marriage specifically in three buckets. Good marriage. Bad marriage. Marriage falling apart. Those are the sort of three you generally get. And what you don't often see represented, especially in 1994, 1995, the 90s before, is a good marriage. People love each other and they're, 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 they're right to be together that have challenges and are just existing in that challenge because I every year that I'm married, I kind of come to term, I come to realize that it's a tough thing, man, even if you're in a good one. <laughs> and the, that's because of big, big things. It's because of mundane things. And there's something wonderful and beautiful about that that is very hard to explain and just can only be experienced personally. And and I don't think they try to prophesize here, and I don't think they try to overdo it. I think it's clear that Colin or that O'Brien – tries to impart a little of that wisdom into Bashir, but he doesn't overdo it and it's not heavy handed. And I just think it's really, it's just really a great nugget that that they were able to weave into the plot. I also think it's interesting that the big bads are really under the belief that they're doing good, but, but aren't blinded to the fact that they're also murdering people, right? There, it's a conscious choice they're making to do this and I think that they, I think it's awesome that they doubled down because they could have gone too far to the to the gray area where like they don't reckon that they're so invested in what they have to do that they don't see the evil and what they're doing. No, 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 they get it. She's deciding yeah. we're gonna kill we're gonna kill Starfleet Commander and, and basically anybody we have to. And the fact that they're doing it together with with the species that they were just at war with, really complex idea, really interesting. I loved. I agreed with you. I thought that maybe it would have been interesting to see Keiko be more, have more agency in the rescue. But I get it. I'm I'm not going to fault it for it. I think I think they they didn't they didn't undercut her in any way. I think she still had it, and they all believed her. And then and they took and we're going to see more of that moving forward. Oh, good. I also loved we got more Ben being. We talk about. I love when they give him tasks where he has to rise above his personal stake in a situation and be the commander. And they do that. They double down on that in this in, in this episode, and I think it's so good. I think his this is one of Avery Brooks's best performances thus far. I think, mm. um, very mature, and, and and you didn't see one person shed a tear this episode, not one. No. But yet the stakes were there. Uh, you could argue that maybe you wanted to see a little more, but as you said, not only is there a grief process and a shock process, but also these are people who are at work and have a lot of lives. Yeah. under their charge and have to continue. They're making life and death decisions and risks and, and jeopardy every day. And they were able to insert a little levity with Quark. I mean, I guess the stakes were never that high for us because we knew they were alive, so it's 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 it was easier for them to right. thread that needle. They weren't trying to keep us all under the belief that they were actually dead, so it was a little easier of a task. I really just thought it was great, and I... I, I you know, we, we don't have to... It doesn't have to be this huge, oh my God, uh, 
I have to just sit here and think for 25 minutes after the episode to really feel it. No, I, I got I got what I was saying, and I thought it was cool, and I thought it was really well-written, and I thought it was well-performed. I really enjoyed it. R- great ride. Great pacing. Yeah. And great resolution. I thought the resolution was really cool. They they established that the communication was – the near-field near, near field communication was down. Right. They do a, a switch, switchy switch. I mean, they they over-exposition it a little bit with the, with the uh, chode guy being like – Oh, perhaps he remote controlled. The, like they explained what just happened to them. Yeah, 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 we got it. But whatever. Keith, great episode. What's the what? What are my high rankings for this season so far? This season, your two highest rankings have been Necessary Evil at ninety one point five and Rules of Acquisition at ninety. This is right up there with me. I got to say, I'm gonna go. 90.65 self-sealing stem bolts. This is one of my fave apps. I really enjoyed it. I had a great time, and I'm finding that uh, for me, I can really like something because I love the ideas, and sometimes I really love the ride, and I feel like this was a nice little mix of both. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I like this episode. I don't think I, I, I don't think I quite like it as much as you do. Um, not for any particular reason other than I know that the meter goes higher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right like this i want the, know, me- the meter i think it resets season to season for me yeah well it, it just in terms of like the um you know the quality of episode for a season thus far this is a very good episode mm-hmm. moving forward this will be like eh, which is really exciting right <laughs> um that there's a lot more lot more coming. So I, I I did like this episode. I think it's I think it has some really important stuff in there. Um it gets 84 self-sealing okay. stem bolts for me. Uh so next week, speaking of episodes uh that I uh, really enjoy, we are going to be watching Whispers. So uh okay. that will be uh coming up next week. Should be super, super fun uh folks if you have enjoyed this give us a like give us a subscribe and to those of you listening to this of which i know there are there are a good amount of folks who just listen to the podcast version uh you can do us a giant favor by leaving a rating and review on apple podcasts or whatever podcast service uh you are listening to that really helps people find us um we haven't really emphasized it, uh, but you could really, really help us out by doing that. Uh, all right. So uh, thanks to our patrons. We will see you back here next week with Whispers. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KM Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. Or become one of our patrons at patreon.com slash knm.